Good morning. It's good to see you all. Happy Sunday. Um, I'm glad you weren't here last night uh, because it was a mess. Um, I'd spent the day uh, pretty much um, walking in the flesh, not walking in the spirit. Um, I felt like I had um, like mastered this passage over the last three weeks. And then I get to my notes about three o'clock yesterday afternoon. I go like, I have no idea what I even wrote down. And I realized that even though that, that the passage had not mastered me. Um, and so um, I had a good night's sleep. I was able to uh, spend a little bit of time in prayer, um, reworking the message a little bit. And uh, just uh, I just have confidence this morning. As, um, imperfect confidence, but confidence in God's word, confidence in God's spirit, and a confidence that he brought us here today to sit under the teaching of God's word and confidence that he will do what he chooses to do through the proclamation of the word. Today, I've, I've titled the sermon, um, Our Power and Privilege, and really it should, I think we could call it the, the power and the privilege and the posture of prayer. The, the power of prayer, the privilege that we get to pray, and then the posture of our heart in prayer. I have a daily routine that sometimes becomes routine. Um, when I rise in the morning, when I get up in the morning, I did it again this morning, I just kind of roll out of bed, and my knees hit the ground before my feet hit the ground. And um, the reason I do that is that I know uh, my flesh, and I know myself, and I know that truth leaks, and I know that my flesh is warring against God's spirit in me. And so I hit the knees, my knees, and I just ask God to strengthen me, to help me walk according to the spirit, not according to the flesh. And one of the, one of the pictures that uh, came to my mind several years ago that is, uh, it's, and it's in my mind every day, is that uh, I'm on, and we're all on, um, I'm on the good ship, um, Dan Hardy. You're on the good ship, whatever your name, family is. And, and God's going to take me all the way home to glory. And, 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 the, and the seas are going to be rough at times. The seas are going to be calm at times. And on this ship, there is a mast. And a mast, and oftentimes when I wake up in the morning, it's just a mast. There's nothing on it. And then also on the ship, there are oars. And, um, and what I tend to do um, when life gets rough um, is that I grab a hold of the oars. And I row and I row and I row in my own strength. Um, Paul started this section off to be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. And oftentimes I get up and I try to be strong in my own strength, and it's always a mess. But here's the picture. This mast, what goes on this mast, what goes on a mast is a sail. And the Spirit of God, that, that if you know Jesus Christ, God's Spirit indwells you at the moment of regeneration. But at the same time, Paul talks often throughout the Scriptures about being filled with the Spirit. And it's, it's really appropriating the power of the Spirit, submitting to the Spirit. And, you know, there's work in that, actually. We can't just go through life either grabbing the oars the oars on our own strength or just, um, uh, just letting the ship just drift. God will bring us all the way home. It's not up to us to, to go all the way home. He's going to bring us there. But we can, um, we can experience more joy in life, actually, by submitting to the Spirit. And the way we do that is we raise our sails of submission so that the Spirit of God can fill our sails. And that's, that's, that's I, I go through that. Like, I'm weird. But I actually go through that every single morning. And putting on the armor of God is another way of doing that. 
when I pray, today, today Paul's going to talk to us about pray. Oftentimes, I pray for things that I want rather than things that God might want for me. Um, I often pray for physical protection and healing. Not bad, good, that we want to come alongside one another and pray for healing and protection. Um, but, re- but oftentimes, um, I don't pray for spiritual protection. That, that praying for others that are in the battle that they would put on their armor. Um, I often pray small prayers wanting people to get well soon um, rather than praying that God would use their trial for his glory and for their good. And then finally, I recognize this yesterday. I know that uh, many of you uh, pray for me and pray for the other pastors, but I just realized yesterday like how under attack um, I can be. And um, so I don't ask enough for prayers from other people to be able to stand and to withstand the, um, the fiery darts of the enemy. So um, I would ask you humbly <clears throat> if you would think of me and um, your other pastors um, and pray for us along the way. Let me ask you this. Are you aware that you're in a spiritual battle? Like, do you live your life knowing that you're in a battle? Where does prayer fit into that battle? And what do your prayers consist of? How do you pray? What do you pray for? What, if you think about that, like think about your prayers yesterday, day before, or last week, last month, what do your prayers primarily consist of? I think Paul has some, I know Paul has some um, instruction for us today. He wraps up his plea to Christians to be alert to the reality that we have an enemy who hates us, an enemy who has a mission, and an enemy who has a strategy to harm us. And his mission, just to review, is to bait God's people into believing his lies and disobeying God's commands. And he has a, he has a strategy, and the strategy is simply to make sin look good. If his mission is to have us disobey God's commands, his strategy is to make uh, sin look good. And he has a future. We've talked about that. It's important to know that he has a, a that we have an enemy, he has a mission, he has a strategy, but he has a future. That we stand firm with the knowledge that although our enemy rages, he's defeated. In one glorious day, evil will expire. Satan, my sin, and your sin, the sin of the world, when Jesus returns. Praise be to God. And our goal as Christians, as Paul has instructed us, is to stand firm, um, stand against the schemes of the devil, and to withstand him in the evil day. And the evil day is really um, every day that the enemy is tempting us and accusing us. And to stand means to hold one's position continually. It's wartime language. Not just standing around, but to stand firm against Satan's lies, his temptations, and his accusations. At the very beginning of this section, in verse 10, we're commanded, uh, we're commanded to be strong in the Lord and what? In the strength of his might. We're literally, literally strengthened by the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. That that's what we have access to. That when we raise our sails, when we put on the armor, we're actually appropriating the power that is already in us to be able to stand firm. Yes, we have an enemy who hates us. But more importantly, we have a God who loves us. And who has given us everything we need uh, to, uh, to stand firm. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. 
In the same way that a soldier's given everything he's needed to be successful in battle, God has already given us the resources that we need to withstand uh, the attacks of the enemy and to live the victorious life. And Paul describes these resources as armor. Put on the full armor of God. Not our armor, but God's armor. We have it already, but we need to put it on. We need to pull it out of our spiritual closet and put it on and appropriate the power of God's spirit in us. Our enemy's not physical and the armor's not physical. God's armor consists of truths that we already possess. Truths of who God is and who God says that we are. And last week we talked about the armor. And I would encourage you that if you missed the message, um, listen to it. If you listened to it last week, listen to it again. And spend time in this section of scripture. The, the resources are the, the belt of truth and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's, a, that's the first thing that we need to put on, that we need to be grounded in truth. And the truth is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then we need to put on the breastplate of righteousness because enemy, uh, the enemy uh, accuses us. He tries to condemn us, and we need to be reminded that Jesus took all of our sin and he's clothed us in all of his righteousness. So we put on the breastplate of righteousness to be reminded that we have Christ's righteousness in us and that also empowers us to live righteous lives. And then the shoes, that we're to shod ourselves or put on the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace, to, to stand in the gospel of peace, to make sure that we're reconciled with other, in other relationships, to take the gospel out to the ends of the world. And we have the, the shield of faith, that, that the, the shield of faith is something that we take up and that we're, um, and that we're um, reminded to uh, trust in God's promises to fend off the lies of the enemy. It's not a one-time um, faith, but it's an ongoing faith in trusting him. And then to put on the helmet of salvation to guard our minds, to re be reminded that, that just because we're saved, just because we are his possessions, just because he's taken all of our sin and clothed us in his righteousness does not mean that our lives are going to be perfect, that salvation is a process, that we're already saved, but we're not yet saved, and that he will bring us all the way through. You see, in this battle called life, we have a commander-in-chief who loves us and sees us and cares for us. And he's not only given us all the resources that we need to withstand the schemes of the enemy and to stand firm in our faith, he's also given us the means to be in constant communication with him, knowing that he sees us and hears us and cares for us. There's a connection between verse 14 and verse 18, where in verse 14, it says, since we have an enemy, stand therefore, put on your armor, stand with your armor on. Now in verse 18, the soldier is seen in his armor praying. Stand and pray. Verse 14 and 18, we're to stand against the enemy, put on the armor. And then in verse 18, in that armor, we're to pray. Prayer's not a seventh piece of armor, but it's the means which each piece is effectively employed. Prayer is the essence of spiritual warfare and the most important means by which believers are strengthened by God. Joel Beek said this about prayer. Prayer is critical <clears throat> because every piece of God's armor is useless without it. Prayer is like oil. Just as every part of the engine is useless without oil, so every part of Christian warfare is vain without prayer. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
Fighting Satan without prayer is like fight, like David fighting Goliath in Saul's armor. The armor doesn't fit, and it's, in, and it's ineffective against the blows of the enemy. To use the metaphor that works for me, it may not work for you, of Spider-Man. When Tony Stark gave uh, Peter Parker his new high-tech Spider-Man suit, Peter just started giving the suit commands and pushing buttons. And he was flying into buildings and knocking out uh, phone booths and phone poles and making a mess of everything. And it wasn't until Peter learned to ask, listen, and submit to the voice of the suit that he found victory over his enemies. And he actually started enjoying life. And I would say it's the same. When we put on the armor of God, when we pray to the Lord that, the, that we're, 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 we're asking, God, what do you want me to do? And listening to his answer and submitting to the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. First of all, um, Prayer is a privilege. I want to just, we want to just address that right up front. We can pray and have our prayers heard because we're sons and daughters, because we're his prized possessions. And prayer is the context of that relationship with the Father. It's an, it's an amazing reality that we can approach our Creator with any burden and any request and know that He welcomes us. He never says, like, well, not here He comes again. But He said, no, come to me, child. To, to use the war metaphor, we have a superior officer who has gone before us and won the war that we're fighting. He's already brought home the victory. He also sees us and hears us and cares for us. He takes no pleasure in our war wounds, and he'll make sure that we're not mortally wounded, that nothing can bring us um, eternal harm. You see, we're more than soldiers in a war. We're his prized possessions in whom he died for. Prayer is not a technique. It's not a formula to make life go well or somehow convince God to change his mind. Prayer is a natural outworking of our life lived in utter dependence upon the master of our fate and the captain of our soul. The captain of our soul. Problems in prayer are not fundamentally a technique issue. They're a relationship issue. Most, we often uh, times pray, pray temporal routine prayers because we're not thinking rightly about who God is and who God says we are. We pray as if he's a distant deity who is no more than a genie in a bottle that we call upon when we need something. At least that's what it is for me at times. When we have a close relationship with somebody, you want to interact with him or her regularly sharing joys as well as sorrows. We have the amazing privilege of praying to the Father in the Spirit, knowing that his Spirit in us understands already our greatest needs, our greatest longings, and our greatest desires. Nancy and I have been married going on 41 years. And yes, we, uh, sometimes our communication is better than other times. Our relationship is best when we're communicating a lot. But even when there's days that go by, we've had so much communication over the years. It's almost like, like her spirit is in me and, I'm, and my spirit is in her. That doesn't work theologically, so don't like to say that's Pastor Dan said that that's the case. But we can, we can almost uh, finish one another's sentences because we've spent so much, so much time with each other in the past. And that's the same way it is with God's spirit in us. 
that it informs us what to pray, and it actually, um, and he prays for us at times. Um, listen, uh, I thought I had a scripture here, but I must have cut it out. So, so today we see Paul encourage believers to pray at all times in the Spirit. What does it mean to pray at all times in the Spirit? Well, pray at all times. Paul said it in, in um, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 as well, and I believe he said it in, in Philippians, to pray without ceasing, to pray without ceasing, which simply suggests um, that it's an attitude of prayerfulness throughout our day <clears throat> that's in uh, continual relationship or fellowship with God and a conscientiousness of being in his presence throughout the day. It's just, it's just talking to him throughout the day. But his bigger point is not that we pray at all times here. The bigger point is that we pray at all times in the Spirit. Pray at all times in the Spirit, <clears throat> not in the flesh. Um, praying in the Spirit reminds us that the Father delights to hear our prayers because his own Spirit indwells your heart. There's that scripture. Romans 8, 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. He leads us. He leads us in prayer as well. You see, praying in the Spirit helps us pray what God wants for us and for others rather than what we want and what we think God should give us. Praying in the Spirit requires submitting to and, bearing, and, and, and wearing God's armor. Last week we talked about truth leaks. We talked about the importance of putting on the belt of truth and picking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, because truth leaks. We can't just rely on, 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 the, on the belt in our closet. We need to wear it because truth leaks. And it's the, it's the same thing in prayer, that truth leaks. So we need to be in God's Word on a regular basis so, and submit to a Spirit that informs our prayers. Sometimes I fear... I know this in my life, and I fear this in the life of the church because I see it as well. Um, when our prayers for temporal relief aren't answered, <clears throat> we tend to either surrender or run from the enemy rather than wearing what is already ours and standing in the victory that has already been secure even in the midst of trial. I want you to just take notice at Paul's prayer. I had uh, David's prayer here as well, and I think in 2 Samuel, I'd encourage you to look at it. David's prayer after um, that he committed adultery with Bathsheba, and uh, God said that um, your, your, your first son is not going to survive. I want you to uh, sometime look at that and see what David's response was to his prayer not being answered the way that he wanted his prayer answered. Uh, listen to what Paul has to say in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. Uh, listen to his response when God doesn't give him relief from his trial. 2 Corinthians 12. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh. This is a, this is a um, Paul is saying basically it was, this was given to me by God. That this trial was given to me by God. A messenger of Satan was allowed to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord. This is a crying out on your knees. God, I beg you to relieve me from this trial. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul's response wasn't, like, it wasn't to shake his fist at the Lord. He said, therefore, I will boast all the more 
gladly in my, of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses. I'm content in insults. I'm content in hardships. I'm content in persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, I am strong. And let me ask you this. Are you content today knowing that God's strength is made per perfect in your weaknesses? Are you content in knowing that whatever's going on in your life might be a good gift from God, actually. Trials are gifts from God, and they're given to us to increase our faith. We talked about this in the James series, that God gives us trials. He tests us. He doesn't tempt us. He tests us to increase our faith, to strengthen our faith, to deepen our faith, to purify our hope so that our hope is no longer in this world, but our hope is in God who is eternal in our eternal home. And the other reason he gives us trials is to expose our fleshly desires. Like the most, the most ugly parts of me come out in the midst of trials. Listen to Hebrews 12, 11. For the, for the moment, all discipline or trials seems painful rather than pleasant. We can say yes to that. God doesn't want us to like go like, hey, this is no big deal. I'm kind of enjoying this. No, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, we can hang on to this promise. It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And when we rail against God in the, in, in the midst of our trials, um, we're not being trained by it. And I would encourage us in, in the midst of, 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 rather than praying for escape, or, or no, I guess it's okay to pray for escape, but when God doesn't give us escape, instead of railing against him, ask this, God, what are you doing, and how do you want me to respond? What are you doing, and how do you want me to respond? This doesn't mean that we can't or shouldn't pray for healing, or that we shouldn't pray for a job, or for whatever, but how do you react when God doesn't seem to answer your prayers? Do you become angry? When God doesn't give you what you want, Satan loves that. Do you become depressed thinking God cannot or does not love you when you fail? I failed again. Satan loves that too. Are you more concerned about getting out of the trial rather than understanding what God has for you in it? So he says, pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Paul now, Paul now gives us the posture of prayer. Pray in the Spirit, what posture? He says, with all prayer. Pray at all times um, in the Spirit with all prayer. Um, uh, uh, prayer, here is, um, prayer here is fervent or earnest prayer. Um, if you look up the Greek word there, I can't pronounce it, but it, has, has, it means fervent or earnest prayer. This is, intentionally, this is intentionally setting aside time and a place to pray. This is different than praying without ceasing throughout the day. This is actually um, time set aside to be with the Lord. It's intentionally finding a place and a time to pray on a consistent basis. Um, who did this? Jesus did this. Jesus, Jesus was our greatest example. He practiced so well what he, preaches, what he preached. And um, even though he was in constant fellowship with the Father, this is God we're talking about, Jesus. Fully God, fully man. He was in constant fellowship with the Father, yet he set aside time and place to be with the Father. Luke 5, he withdrew to a desolate place to pray. Mark 1, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. There he prayed. Luke 6, before selecting the 12 disciples, he went out to the mountain to pray. After uh, Matthew 14, Mark 6, after he dismissed the crowds, he went up 
on the mountain to pray by himself. Then even in Gethsemane, he went away and he prayed three times. From the beginning of his ministry to the eve of Good Friday, he made the practice of private prayer an essential part of his ministry and his relationship with the Father. So it's kind of hard to, to overstate the importance of earnest, fervent prayer, particularly for the weary Christian living in a weary world. And this type of prayer is many, in many ways the measure and the depth of our relationship with the Father. You might say you don't have time, but I, was, I would say you can't afford to not have time for fervent and earnest prayer. And he says, then pray, pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Supplication is not a, another form of prayer, but it's an attitude or a state of our heart. It's the, our posture, if you will, that accompanies prayer. It's what Jesus talks about when we ask and seek and knock. It's passionate yet humble begging for God to do something with our spirit-directed prayers. It's directed by God's spirit and rooted in faith that God cares, that he hears, and that he will answer. God answers our prayers in his perfect timing, though, and sometimes we need to pray persistently before answers come. Have you ever been in that place? Um, sometimes I'll pray and, and God doesn't answer, and I'll just like go to the next prayer. And I think there's when, I, when we're led by the spirit, there's certain um, things, there's certain people that God wants us to um, supplicate for, to beg him for on a day-in, week-in, month-in, year-by-year basis. I believe that one of those for me is um, actually praying for those that, I, um, that are uh, in part of my family who don't know Jesus. I, I believe that God wants them to come to Christ. So I beg him almost on a daily basis that he would save um, my family those who do not know Jesus. Donald Whitney says this about a prayer that is not answered right away. As the joy of a baby's birth is greater because of months of anticipation, so is the joy of, of an answered prayer after persistent praying. C.S. Lewis says this about the power of prayer. We know that we can act and that our actions produce results. Everyone who believes in God must therefore admit, quite apart from the question of prayer, that God has not chosen to write the whole history with his own hand. Most of the events that go on in the universe are indeed out of our control, but not all. It's like a play in which the scene and the general outline of the story is fixed by the author, but certain minor details are left for the actors to improvise. It may be a mystery why he should have allowed us to cause real events at all, but it's no odder that he should allow us to cause them by praying than by any other method. Don't understand it. It's a mystery. Wayne Grudem refers to it as, as providential concurrence, that God in his providence is going to do what he pleases. But somehow, he works with our prayers. He concurs with our prayers. Nancy and I like, uh, we, we're, we're watching a, a few TV shows right now, and, and, I, and we get this picture that, that the, 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 the playwright, if you will, has a beginning and an end to each episode, and a beginning and end to the entire series. But we also get it that the, that the, the characters uh, kind of improvise uh, along the way. That the author knows exactly what the end is going to be, but that he um, allows us to improvise. And one of the ways that improvision happens is through our prayers. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Keep alert, he says. 
this command to pray for other believers is tied directly to the preceding verses where Paul tells us that we have an enemy who hates us and who hates other believers. He doesn't just hate you. He hates your friends. And that they too have the armor. They've been given everything they need for life and godliness. It's in their spiritual closet. And we need to pray for them. We need to be aware of the enemy and his tactics or strategy, and we need to persevere in the strength of our commanding officer. And to this end, we need to keep alert with all perseverance. Um, Mark 14 says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. First Peter says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, like the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Colossians 4 says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. To that end, keep alert with all per perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. We're in this battle together. And we need to help each other up in this fight. And we do this by primarily making supplication for one another. And remember what supplication is. It's humble yet passionate begging. It's directed by God's Spirit and it's rooted in the faith that God cares and hears and answers our prayers. We're to pray this for all the saints, he says. Make supplication for all the saints. And I don't know about for you, but I I can't pray for all the saints. I can't even pray for all of you. I can't. I can't. But, but we can pray for one another. We can pray for those who God has providentially placed in our path. So who has God providentially put you in proximity to? Both physical proximity and relational proximity. It's certainly others in this church. It's those maybe in the Crossway Network of Churches or ministries or missionaries that we support or other Christians that you know in the community and at other churches. You see, when we're walking and praying in the Spirit, we become more aware of others. and We become more alert to what they are going through and how to pray for them. We can have a tendency to simply pray for what we want, which is usually things like deliverance from trials. Most of our prayer requests I've noticed, uh, um, I kind of went on a rampage last night, like half of my community group was here. I had to apologize. I don't think I'm going to have a community group next week. But I said like, like our prayers in our community group almost are always for things like sickness, things like um, joblessness, things like finances. And, and, I, and, I, and I think that's good. Because we, um, Paul tells us in, in Romans that we're to bear one another's burdens, that when one weeps, the other should weep. When the other rejoices, the other should rejoice. So we should freely share with one another um, prayer requests. But we should be aware what's, what the enemy wants to do with those. See, this, is, this section of Scripture, this, this call to pray for all the saints, is in the context of Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, that we're in war. So, so um, God is the one that can relieve them um, from financial woes and um, sickness and relational difficulties. And we, would, we should pray that God in his kindness would do that. But maybe more importantly for believers is that we would pray that we would stand firm. Pray that we would stand firm. Like when, when, um, when Peter, I'm going to call you out right here. When Peter was in the hospital for 35 days, um, we beg the Lord that God in his kindness would allow that child to live and they would come home. 
But at the same time, we knew there had to be a spiritual battle. We knew that the enemy's schemes were, um, were he was attacking. So we prayed that you could stand firm. And if we just simply pray for um, temporal and physical um, maladies, while people who are um, in the midst of it are getting destroyed by the enemy, I don't think they're complete prayers. Are you with me on that? Because last night I think I said uh, something like, don't pray for temporal stuff. And that's not the case. When hearing of a fellow Christian in the midst of a trial, we need to pray that our vexed brothers and sisters would be strengthened in the Lord and to be strong in his might. And we need to pray that, 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 that they would um, submit to the Spirit, that they would put on the full armor of God, that they'd strap on the belt of truth, that they would pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, that they'd put on the breastplate of righteousness that they would put their shoes, uh, uh, fit their, their feet with the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace, that they would pick up uh, the shield of faith, that they'd put on the helmet of salvation. These are the prayers that we need to pray for one another. It's all good and well to pray for healing jobs and travel mercies. Let's not stop that. But how much more important is it to pray that other believers would be, believers would be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might? and that they would stand firm against the schemes and the lies and the accusations of the enemy. And Paul says in verses 19 through 20, as we get ready to wrap this up, I'm going to read it. I don't have it in my notes. 19 and 20, he says, And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now Paul is saying, pray for me. Pray for me. Um, do you know where Paul is when he's requesting this prayer? He's in jail. He's in chains. He's in a dark, damp, dank um, cell, probably chained to another prisoner who may be dead with soldiers that want to kill him. And notice what he doesn't pray for. He, notice what he doesn't ask prayer for. He doesn't say, would you pray that I can get out of these chains? Would you pray that I can get out of this cell? I'd have the tin cup out, and I'd be, I'd be running across the, the, the bar saying, let me out of this place. He's not praying, make Rome great again. He's not praying, um, would you, um, uh, that I've got rights here. He does not seek release, but he seeks opportunities. Further, he doesn't ask for prayer for those um, who need Jesus. Not that that's wrong, but, but it's, it's instructive here. He says, he says, pray for me and pray for these soldiers who I'm getting ready to share the gospel with. No, he says, pray for me that words would be given to me and that I would have the boldness to proclaim the mysteries of the gospel. Pray for me. Because there's no hope for that soldier. And there's no hope for this, this uh, prisoner next to me. Because people are saved by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I think oftentimes we spend so much time praying for those who do not know Jesus. And we should continue to do that. 
but it's an artificial prayer if we're not praying that God would bring somebody to them to share the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul prays that words may be given to me. He says, pray that words would be given to me. Paul's not saying pray that I can remember the gospel. He knows the gospel. He devoted his life to it. And the gospel message doesn't change. But he desperately wanted to be led by the Spirit. Pray that words may be given to me, that the Spirit of God would give me words on how to present the mystery of the gospel. Nancy and I pray this often. When we go to environments, whether it be the family gatherings or we go to the gym, we haven't done this in a while at the gym, but every time before we went to the gym, we would pray, God, would you just show us who it is that you're working in? Would you give us opportunities to love them and to declare the, ministry, the, the, the mystery of the gospel with them? Give us words to speak. In Matthew 10, 19 through 20, Jesus encouraged his disciples in a similar way. He says, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So Paul was a man, first and foremost, who was led by the Spirit of God. He didn't rely on his intellects. He didn't rely on his, on his experience. He didn't rely on his, his, um, his education or his position or his giftedness. He relied on God's spirit. He didn't ask for prayer for a better Rome or the preservation for his rights. He asked for prayer that the Holy Spirit would give him the words to speak and the boldness to declare the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what is the mystery of the gospel that he's, what he, that he's talking about? The gospel is a mystery. It's a mystery of those who are perishing. It's a, it's a mystery in the sense that salvation is for everyone. It's not just for the Jews. It's for Gentiles alike. That the gospel, the mystery of the gospel, is that it's for every tongue, tribe, and nation. It's a mystery that it comes not as a result of works, that we can't be good enough, that it, it comes uh, by grace. And it's a mystery that it didn't come through a triumphant warrior, but through a meek and humble servant. Paul, in asking for prayers that the Spirit of God would give him the words and boldness. He also knew that only the Spirit of God could open the eyes of those who have been blinded by Satan. You see, the blind can't open their eyes. Their eyes need to be opened. And it's the proclamation of the mystery of the gospel that God uses to open their eyes. He knew that this gospel proclamation would assault Satan's kingdom. And that God would use the faithful proclamation of this mystery to set people free from the bondage of Satan and give them spiritual freedom that is found only in Jesus. And then finally, he tells us what compels him. You might ask, well, like, like what compels Paul? How could he sit in this jail cell and ask for prayer that he would be a bold witness rather than asking for prayer for his safety and his release? And he says, I'm an ambassador. Paul is driven by the love of Christ. We're getting ready to uh, preach through 2 Corinthians um, next, uh, next weekend. We'll spend 24 weeks in it. And we've titled the sermon series, Compelled. And it's a question we're going to ask through all throughout the series, is what compels you to do what you do? And Paul says, what compels me? In 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 16, what compels me to not ask for prayer to get out of the cell but what compels me to ask for prayer that I would have the words 
and the boldness to proclaim the mystery of the gospel is the love of Christ, that he knows how much Christ loves him, that, he, that he's been purchased. Yes, he's a prisoner in chains, but he belongs to another king and to another kingdom, and he's an ambassador of both. In that day, very much like today, an ambassador was an official representative and spokesman of the government or kingdom. The believer acts as a representative of his homeland under the authority of a king. Paul's allegiance and our allegiance is to King Jesus. And his mission and our mission is the same. It's a, it's a, it's a mission of gospel proclamation, of teaching all that Jesus commanded. And it's also uh, to stand in the great commandment, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love others more than we love ourselves. In closing, praying in the Spirit gives you a means to stand firm and withstand the enemy. It's a reminder that as you walk the path that we never walk it alone because God's Spirit is with us, the Father sees us, He hears us, and He cares for us. It's a reminder that the war has already been won. It's a reminder that Jesus not only died, but he victoriously rose again from the dead, and he sits at the right hand of the Father. And you know what he's doing? He's praying for you. He's interceding for us. And with company like that praying for us, how will the Father not give us what's best for us, even though it doesn't feel like what's best? We are going to um, um, celebrate the Lord's Supper together here in the closing as we close and if you didn't get a packet, there's some out on the table that has a wafer in the top, and you can start unpacking it. But I, would, I just want to ask you simply to do business with the Lord. Just take 30 seconds to a minute and just um, ask God what he has for you here. What does he have for you? And then we'll, uh, we'll partake in the elements together. So... Just take a few minutes, take a few uh, 30 seconds to a minute. end of his life at the end of his perfect life where even though he was tempted in every way and, and yet never sinned he set his face for Jerusalem knowing that he would be beaten and that he would be crucified and killed and he lived that perfect life and he went to the cross willingly for you and me. And on the night before he was betrayed, one of his own gave him up, Judas. He was with his disciples and he took the bread and he said, 
This is my body that was broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup, the cup of the new covenant, and he said, this is my blood that was spilled for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. Father, saying um, thank you <laughs> seems um, shallow and not enough. But God, we, uh, we know that, um, I pray that you would help us recognize that, um, that we've been purchased, that our lives are not our own. I pray that you would uh, empower us to uh, live our lives in submission to you, to your spirit, informed by your word, that that would be our praise and worship to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love others more than we love ourselves. So, Spirit of God, would you uh, just enliven our hearts, give us a greater and greater desire to live that life. Would you give us the courage to uh, daily uh, be strengthened in the Lord and the power of your might to put on the armor and to... Uh, in that armor to live and walk by the Spirit and enjoy um, this uh, amazing privilege we have of being your children and being able to, um, you know, to be your children, to know that you're waiting for us, that you see us, uh, that you hear us, and you care for us. Thank you that we never walk alone, that you're always with us. And we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.